0: Hello and welcome to The Intersection. My name is Mark Riley. Glad to have you with us. In this episode, more bad road for Donald Trump. As a judge rules, he inflated his worth to get bank loans and one of his defendants cops a plea. Just to show alleged corruption knows no one political party, New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez, Democrat that is, is indicted on corruption charges and some of his allies say it's time for him to go. Senator Dianne Feinstein passes away at age 90 and a replacement has been named. Is the war in Ukraine degenerating into a protracted stalemate? And 27 years after his murder, a man has been charged in the killing of Tupac Shakur. So let's go then. Last week, a judge in New York dealt a body blow to Donald Trump's empire, at least the New York part of it. State Attorney General Letitia James, never one to be taken lightly, brought suit against the 45th president, alleging he inflated the value of his properties in order to secure favorable loans from banks. Now, Judge Arthur Angeron has sided with the AG in her civil suit. Although there are appeals pending and even a suit against the judge himself, this ruling carries tremendous weight. It says Trump, who has rarely, if ever, been known to admit wrongdoing, has been found to have done wrong. It also jeopardizes his ability to operate his myriad of businesses in New York. Also of note, the judge quashed a crucial component of his legal defense. Trump's lawyers were ready to argue that nothing he did was fraudulent. The ruling short-circuits that one, so badly, in fact, that they fined Trump's lawyers, a, a trivial amount, 7500 bucks. but still, the judge fined him. What's interesting about this notion is that the James lawsuit was not, how, not seen, that is, as important as the criminal charges Trump faces. In the long run, that could be true, but think about this for a minute. He's been found liable for inflating the value of his assets by $2.2 billion. If this ruling holds, all that's left is to determine at trial how much he'll be liable for. As we mentioned, Trump isn't out of options just yet. He can appeal the judge's ruling and delay the upcoming trial. He can also try to delay the proceedings until his suit against Judge Engeron is adjudicated. What's ironic is the question of whether a legal finding of fraud has any impact at all on his run for the presidency. Smart money would seem to indicate it won't have any effect at all. It could, best case scenario for Trump opponents, slow the fundraising juggernaut that seemed to attract more donations as the criminal indictments came in. Probably not, though. And the hits just keep on coming. One of Trump's co-defendants in the Georgia racketeering case has decided to plead guilty to five misdemeanor charges. Scott Hall won't be doing jail time, however. His plea deal has him on probation for five years. He had faced a total of seven felonies, for his role in breaching voting machines in rural Coffee County, Georgia. He's expected to testify against other defendants, probably not Trump. However, it could put former Trump lawyer Sidney Powell in quite a bit of hot water. She's accused of similar crimes in the same county. While Hall probably won't be called to testify against Trump, his his guilty plea certainly does not help him it could lead to other guilty pleas. That could lead to people testifying against him. So let's see what we have here. Two black women, Fannie Willis and Letitia James, are building cases against Donald Trump that will at least see him go to trial. Expect Trump, his lawyers, and minions to use dog whistles in an effort to discredit both of them. Actually, they've already done that, but Those dog whistles will get a little louder now. But as someone much smarter than me once said, the walls are getting closer. Up next, with all the furor around Donald Trump, can one fail to mention New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez? He's facing corruption charges and even allies are calling for him to resign. Should he? This is The Intersection. Welcome back to The Intersection. You may have noticed we have a new theme song. It's produced and performed by my good friend Tevin Thomas, who was here not that long ago, a couple of months ago, spent some time with us. It's called Drums and Percussion from his new album, Tell Me Your Story. What a creative musical mind is Tevin Thomas. New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez has had legal trouble before. Back in 2017, he faced federal charges that he took bribes from a political donor in exchange for political favors. That federal trial ended in a hung jury, and the feds chose not to retry him. Not exactly exoneration, but he continued to serve in the Senate. Now, he's facing a new set of corruption charges involving using his political influence, allegedly, to benefit, among others, the government of Egypt. What's interesting about the response from Democrats is this. New Jersey elected officials, including Governor Phil Murphy, have come down on the side of calling on Menendez to resign. In Washington, positions have been quite a bit more muted. Several elected officials haven't yet taken a position on whether or not Bob Menendez should resign. That might be because one wrong move and the balance in the upper chamber could tilt to the republicans maybe not obviously now because if menendez steps down murphy gets to name his successor and he's not naming a republican however bob menendez is up for re-election next year keep that in mind it certainly has given the gop hope to flip that seat next year the problem for a lot of people is the huge amount of cash bob menendez kept in his home, which included gold bars. Keep in mind that the senator's wife was also indicted, but was not with him when he faced the media at the end of last week. Despite being quite firm about not resigning, he did step down as chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Should he give up his seat? My initial instinct would be to say yes. I know the political risk, especially with last week's passing of California Senator Dianne Feinstein. Yet Governor Gavin Newsom in California was very quick to name a replacement. Why has the GOP and why would the GOP hold their fire on Bob Menendez should he decide, as he said at the end of last week, that he's not going anywhere? And the question then becomes, Why give the Republicans ammunition to cry "What ism when it comes to Trump? See, because that's the political world we now live in. Bob Menendez, now Trump's been indicted four times, but the bottom line is Bob Menendez gets indicted and suddenly the Republicans jump up and say, well, you can't say anything about Trump. Look at your own guy. And see, part of the problem here is this. In addition to finding gold bars, in Bob Menendez's New Jersey home, they found cash stuffed in all kinds of places in his home, including coat pockets, pant pockets, the whole nine yards. He had an explanation for it, which had to do with his upbringing in Cuba. I'm not absolutely certain people are going to buy all that. But the bottom line is, all that cash, I think it was like a half million dollars, it's a really, really bad look. I've seen people in power try to cling to it in many areas of political life, and it's not unique to America, as a matter of fact. I've seen people all over the globe. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. Till things get too hot, and then I'm leaving. Bob Menendez should not be the one who holds on in the face of the damage, the extreme damage that his indictment in fact, causes Up next, the war in in Ukraine. That's right, Ukraine, sorry about that. You remember the war in Ukraine? That stopgap funding bill to keep the government functioning does not include money for Ukraine's war effort. But the central question may be whether it's even possible for them to win. This is The Intersection. You're listening to Mark Riley. It's the only podcast where the world makes sense. Welcome back to The Intersection. Thanks for sticking around. Who is winning the war between Russia and the Ukraine? The answer could well be neither side. It is, after all, 18 months. And while Europe may be somewhat solid, and I do say somewhat solid, in its support for President Zelensky and his country, the U.S. Congress's passage of a stopgap spending bill that does not include money for Ukraine is a worrisome sign that American patience is wearing thin. I'm not quite sure why Americans' patience is... Re- it may not be the American public. It may just be a group of right-wing lawmakers on Capitol Hill. Let's be clear about that. But it's not there. Now, that doesn't mean they're not getting any money. They in fact will get what's already in the pipeline. But there was no new money, and that new money had been asked for in this stopgap spending bill. The guess is, and the smart money is, that when the final bill is done, that money will reappear. Republican opposition to continued funding for the war effort is hard to figure. Is it simply fiscal prudence that's driving them? Most likely not. My guess is they're nervous about Zelensky's prospect for actual victory. According to the New York Times, as the fighting continues, little is gained on either side. The Russians, on the one hand, wanted to solidify control of the Donbass region in the east of Ukraine. They've yet to achieve that objective. Against fierce, and you have to give the Ukrainians credit, fierce opposition to a Russian takeover of the Donbass region. And everybody thought, at least at the beginning, that Donbass was ripe for conquest by Vladimir Putin. The Ukraine, on the other hand, they found that their counteroffensive, which was much touted, hasn't gone to plan either. In fact, If you look at both sides of this thing, you see that very little has been gained or lost. For their part, Ukraine is downplaying the lack of funding in the stopgap bill, saying they're confident the U.S. is still in their corner. I've said before that as the war drags on, American public support for it might begin to waver. Now, it started to bleed beyond the lunatic fringe of the GOP into the real corridors of power. And I hate to say this, but the fact of the matter is even that lunatic fringe does, in fact, have power. I could see the Republican line during next year's election, if nothing changes. Joe Biden led the U.S. into a quagmire in the war from which there seems to be no escape sorry i don't mean to do the republicans work for them but the attack line is obvious for his part the president is seeking an additional 24 billion dollars for ukraine on top of the 113 billion already approved worse yet house speaker kevin mccarthy is trying to tie funding to border security of all things long story short the stalemate on the battlefield could start to become a factor in both congressional and public support for Ukraine. That means that no matter how many Russian casualties we hear about, they, the Russians, have an advantage. And finally, 27 years after rapper Tupac Shakur was murdered in Las Vegas, a man has been arrested and charged with his killing. Will this end the mystery surrounding his death? This is The Intersection. Join the conversation. Mark Riley Media on Facebook. Welcome back to The Intersection. Tupac Shakur was a defining figure in 1990s hip-hop. He brought poetry and gravitas to the often violence-plagued world of street culture during that decade. His murder in Las Vegas in 1996 seemed to have been unsolvable, until now. Police have arrested Dwayne Keith Davis, a former gang member, on murder charges. The irony is, Davis, in both interviews and a book he wrote, acknowledged being the man who ordered Tupac's killing. Vegas police say they never got enough cooperation on either side to make an arrest before now. Funny, A confession from a participant in a murder is usually reason enough to warrant a serious look at an arrest. In this case, it's taken the better part of three decades. And a lot of this stuff, we ought to be clear, a lot of the stuff around Tupac's death has been swirling around and swirling around. It has been mixed liberally with rumor, slurs against one side, slurs against another, the whole nine yards. And what was accomplished with all this? The death of a gifted rapper, and then some months later, the death of Biggie Smalls, a friend turned adversary. And the flower of hip-hop's youth at the time were cut off. Literally cut off. Two of the biggest rappers of that period. Now, for a lot of people that don't follow hip-hop or don't care about it or think it's just garbage it might not make a difference. But to the young people of that particular generation, it was of critical, critical importance. One wonders if all this will be enough to finally quiet those who have long said that Tupac isn't dead. That's right. There are still not a huge number of people, but some people who believe that Tupac Shakur is still alive and that he was never, ever murdered according to this guy davis tupac's murder was retaliation for a beat down on his davis's nephew following a mike tyson fight in vegas now you ought to be clear the guy that was beat down and the guy who davis has hinted pulled the trigger is dead himself i believe he was shot and killed this guy davis also says suge knight who was in the car with tupac was also a target now and I think we ought to be clear about this, Davis began to spill the beans about all this in 2018 in a television interview. So wait, it took five years from that time to now to arrest this guy? It should be noted, to be fair, that in the immediate aftermath of the murder, some 20 people were arrested, but the investigation went nowhere. Given that a new generation of people have come of age since Tupac's death, there may not be as much interest in this story as it would have been had it happened some years earlier, like, say, 20 years earlier. Yet justice, even delayed 27 years, remains important and a cornerstone of American criminal justice. Thanks so much for listening to The Intersection. The executive producer is Kim Jack Riley. And music is by Tevin Thomas. Until next time, please be well.